Well, why don't we give the listeners one week to listen to this podcast and then get them to put in Bruce Krentz and see how many of them get Bruce Krentz Thompson. <laughs> well, they're all going to get it because there's only one Bruce Krentz and he lives in Thompson. It's April 2018. This is episode 16, Facebook. little flashback on the last pod a couple of thoughts from me before i throw it to you guys fellas uh george i thought at times you were a little harsh on steve but i thought it was (laughs) but i thought it was pretty funny this is by far the worst question ever i don't think i thought about this for very long yeah megan thought it was one of our best and she couldn't really figure out why Yeah, I'm trying to stay quiet, George. I'm trying to stay quiet on that one. I was the only one missing from that podcast. It stings a little bit. I was totally hoping you would pick up on that. How about I drop the first F-bomb? You're so hung out out there in space, fucker. It's so good. So I'm not sure whether that was good or bad. The, the, little, the little fart segment, I thought, sort of pushed the envelope for Snow Day Pod just a little bit. But uh, Marnie gave it a stamp of approval. Oh, wait. Yes, that did happen. That just happened. Kids in the hall. Oh, my God. Is it somebody crack a window? Is it rank in here? here. (laughs) (laughs) The last one for me, just that I laughed every time I heard it, was Les's public declaration about his hatred for picnics. So I'm just going to come out and say it. I fucking hate picnics. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I hate the concept of a picnic. I've never wow. been on a picnic. But if you say to me, I want to go on a picnic, or would you like to go on a picnic, I'm going to say, fuck no. That just sounds <gasps> I hate oh, the concept no. of picnics. I hate it. There you go. I said it. I mean it. I will go to my grave hating picnics. I've never wow. been on a picnic. I will never go on a picnic. I'm, I'm glad I can facilitate your public expression. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hasn't yeah. changed. I was <laughs> surprised. Yeah, I thought it was good. I liked it. I liked it. I thought. I think I second that. I think George is being a little hard on Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I have to admit, I was surprised. I heard it again the, the your positioning on picnics. I was. I would have to say that I would have. I would have not guessed those three positions. <laughs> I, I. I would like to say that I think you know as much maligned as Steve's topic of when was the last time you went on a picnic was. It may have been the best question that we've ever had because it drew such a uh, wide array of responses. <laughs> we got a crazy story from Bruce about panic attacks driving across the bridge. We got, the, we got a, a full-on onslaught from George about how angry he was about the question. And then I got to publicly rant about the fact that I hate picnics and uh, I've been waiting my whole life to have a public podium to say that on. No, I think that's the type of question that you want to talk radio to. <laughs> there you go. I'll stick it up for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Les. Where were you two weeks ago? (laughs) Here's the disclaimer. There's going to be some swearing. This is going to be a little unprofessional. Some place between a locker room and a church gathering. Nothing we'd be embarrassed to play for our kids or our parents. That's kind of the zone. If you can live with that, welcome aboard. If not, Thanks for giving it a try. Four friends trapped in a virtual living room by a virtual snowstorm. This is the Snow Day Podcast. With Dr. George Alvarez. What Steve forgot to mention is I was talking to him about bribing Speaker, author, and leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. Oh, wait, I literally, I think I chipped my pants. Guy's son and entrepreneur, Leslie Hansen. Because we were all like humbled <laughs> and scared and ashamed and not wanting to talk to each other. And me, I'm still in Thompson, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. It was bloody terrifying. Yeah, we thought this guy's going to take us to his house and we'll end up in his freezer. It was crazy. Still got me, but I'm so infam. 
little check-in since the last pod. Let's see what you guys have been up to. I'm going to start with uh, you, Georgie. What do you, what's been going on? Well, I was out in uh, Vancouver last weekend with a mutual buddy of ours, uh, Jeff Bacon, and I was uh, enjoying the dominant Jets and Raptors, Canadian teams uh, going uh, predictably deep into the playoffs. The Jets have been an exciting run so far. Steve, you're in the heart of it. The the Sea of White, the whiteout is right outside your door. What have you been up to, dude? Yeah, down the street. It's awesome. It's been uh, it's been exciting since the last podcast. Uh, you know, I've just been doing my thing. I went went off the grid for a while and went somewhere warm, and I'm back now working on some some awesome stuff that I'm doing this Friday. It's like how to put 21 years of my research and work into 30 minute talk. So I'm a little nervous and excited. That's all I can think about the last uh, little while. But other than that, as always, I, I actually got to see less. So yes, we we can actually talk about me seeing less in Toronto, and yeah. I bought him dinner. Yeah, and I introduced him to a good friend of mine. Um, so actually, I think I bought dinner twice. Actually, I bought may have bought picked it up at Confusion Corner in Winnipeg, and then three days later um, in Toronto. But the most important part was I said to Lester as we were saying goodbye. It's like I got to see it twice in one week. Uh, and that was really good. His story check out, Lester, did he really buy lunch? And was it better than that Burger King on the corner of Confusion Corner? <laughs> Steve just stole my, stole my check-in because I, oh. I was in Winnipeg and Steve bought me dinner. And then I think it was only maybe three or four days later, he yeah. was in Toronto and he bought me dinner again. So Steve bought me dinner twice in, uh, twice in one week, which was nice. And, uh, yeah, other than that, I've been in Toronto, uh, rapidly following the wraps into the playoffs, been to a couple of playoff games, which has been fantastic, and keeping an eye on the Jets as well, and Leafs are in the playoffs. It's a crazy time for, uh, for sports fans, for sure. It's good living. I got a confession to make, boys. It's not as, as shocking, I don't think, as the picnic one, but... I'm the bad guy this time around. Steve, I was in Winnipeg all weekend last weekend. I pulled, oh. your, I pulled your stealth run through Toronto. I did it in Winnipeg. No. Didn't tell you I was actually just down the street from you too and, uh, and didn't buy you dinner, so I'm the bad guy. Wow. Hey, did you guys hear that sound? That was my heartbreaking. Did you hear that? It sounded like a stick in the woods. <laughs> Bruce stayed at an Air, Airbnb on your street, Steve. And never <laughs> <went to> you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was him. <laughs> you, you saw me walking along. Actually, our uh, our hockey team was down for our annual men's trip to, trip to the Manitoba Cup. Uh, so we were at the Holiday Inn Airport West, the old Birchwood, in a couple of suites holed up there and uh, played some hockey games and hanging around with the guys. So we were uh, we were kind of kind of locked in as a group there. Had lots of fun. Lost in the final to some young guys that had better legs than we did, but uh, super fun weekend. Can't complain about that. Some 40-year-olds there, Bruce? Uh, you know <laughs> we were kind of proud. Our average age was 38.7 on our team, and we had a 21-year-old goalie and another guy who was 24. And then uh, I was the oldest one out there, but uh, we had a bunch of guys in their 40s. Thought we did pretty good. Uh, they looked younger than us. <laughs> they played younger than us, even if they weren't. The only other one that was a massive throwback, I texted you guys just a picture, but about Two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, I spent a night on the floor in the school in the paw, uh, chaperoning a badminton trip. And it's been a long time <laughs> since I slept uh, in a sleeping bag in a school. And I think the last time I did it was, it was actually Flint Flon. Do you guys remember this? I think it was a volleyball trip. We were all staying in the gym, which was a terrible plan. Like every school had a, had, yeah. a, had a corner of the gym. Steve, you know where I'm going with this story. So we're all in the gym. Everybody's kind of having trouble getting to sleep. We're jerking around. As you can imagine, there's like whatever there was, probably 50 or 60, probably more than that, like 70 or 80 people trying to sleep in the gym. Uh, the DeGroote brothers are getting a little carried away. McLaughlin throws down the gauntlet. He's our coach at the time. He's getting frustrated. He said, the next person that makes a sound, we're all getting up at 6.30 in the morning and we're doing five laps of the hill in Flin Flon or whatever, that giant hill that goes down to A&W. So it's quiet only for yeah. probably about 30 seconds. And who was it that threw it out? Was it you or Dave? It was me. <laughs> uh, McKenzie, McKen Rick McKenzie encouraged me to say the uh, uh, who threw a bullet in the furnace, the Bill Cosby reference. All right. I put a bullet in the fence. And, uh, and we were all like, McLaughlin was all, that's it. And uh, the whole morning, 
uh, Dave and I got it <laughs> up and down the hill. Thanks a lot, Degroot. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. You're welcome. They stuck to their guns. They just they just ran us to into the ground, and then we played poorly all day, which I think was no oh, yeah, surprise. Oh we, we got all. destroyed because we were so tired. <laughs> it was it was really the epitome of bad coaching, to tell you the truth. It was. I'll own my part, but the punishment should come after the tournament's over. <laughs> all right. Who threw a bullet? All right. <laughs> all right. All right. I put a bullet in the fence. Okay, we'll give you this. That reference was pretty obscure. It's from Bill Cosby, Why Is There Air? Check it out on YouTube. We're not endorsing Bill Cosby. He is a bad dude. But if you can separate that from his work, there's some pretty funny stuff in there, and it's our heritage. We are what we are. All right, well, I think that's it. Uh, that's it on the check-in, boys, but it's been an eventful little time. Stevie, clearly, uh, I owe you Burger King at Confusion Corner next time. I'm, uh, I'm in the bright lights. It's you can be great. dine for five ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> So on to the topic at hand, it's it's internet security. Like we said, it's kind of Facebook. What it came from was the Cambridge Analytica scandal, I guess if you want to call it that. I'm pretty sure everybody knows the, the real nuts and bolts of it. But basically, there's a company that used some Facebook apps to collect information on, you guys correct me when, I'm, when I go off the rails on this, but probably 50 million people is the number that I heard. Uh, and then they used those patterns and some of the, the information that they gathered from those people, some people think, uh, changed the outcome of the election in the States and the Brexit vote. Um, and so there's a giant uproar around that. People worried about their security. It wasn't exactly Facebook that they got the stuff from, but it was different apps. So if you played a little bit too much Angry Birds and somehow they got some of your personal information or, or your habits out of Angry Birds, they use that to uh, then target you to vote one way or the other in some of those things. Georgie, you brought the topic. Was, I cl- was, was that basically the story? I, I guess the baseline fact is lots of social media, lots of Internet already does that you know if you think about your twitter account and your twitter feed which i don't have or your facebook or even videos that you look they see what you are looking at and they basically redirect you to similar stuff so that you basically keep getting fed what you're interested in and the overall arcing worry is you're not getting a balanced view of anything because all you're doing is just keep looking and get regurgitated the same things that you're looking at Hence, it appears that now the numbers are closer to 85 million. People were clearly being targeted and being fed probably false information, quote-unquote fake news, uh, and people were just kept, you know, recycling it and and, uh, tagging it to other people to influence elections. So I think that's sort of the overall story here. So two questions just to get us started. You just said that you don't have Twitter. Um, so I'm curious, just give us a little snapshot what your sort of online presence looks like. How much time a day do you spend there? And are you really worried about people collecting some of that information or, or sort of targeting you that way? I mean, I think I, it, it kind of depends if I'm working or not, how much I am on social media. I'll also start off by saying I had no illusion that when I decide to post a silly cat video uh, or other stuff on social media, that somehow it's a secret. I mean, this whole point of social networking and social media is because it's social. People have access to it, you share it. So I think it's a little bit naive to think that this somehow wasn't being collected. And I guess if you read the fine print in Facebook, they tell you the same thing. So I would probably say I'm an average user and I've never been under the illusion that they aren't collecting a certain amount of baseline data. Therefore, I've self-regulated what I put on the net. Throwing it to you, Steve, you're in a bit of an interesting situation. I suppose I am a little bit in my uh, uh, volunteer endeavors, but you use social media for your work more than any of the rest of us do. So you have a bit of a different angle on it. So so where are you at on this? How much do you use and how much are you on social media? Yeah, I'm using it less and less. Right, I'm, I'm not using it much at all. 
Um, and again, mostly just for whether it's the charity work and, you know, the odd thing on Facebook. Like Facebook to me is, you know, I consider it's utility for my life anyway. If I wasn't connected to the memories of Dave Page and the getting to better stuff, I don't think I'd be on it at all. I agree with what George is saying. My clientele, as I move now, is less likely to use social media. I agree. Like, you know, you got to approach these things knowing that it's not private information. You don't want somebody to know something. You should, you know, you should be careful about how you, how you share it. You know, I think all the time, I'm always surprised that people put really personal information on Facebook. You know, I think my, the issue that I think the line that gets crossed is when certain companies like insurance companies or health companies or, or private companies are using that information to manipulate people um, or to learn about them in a way to either provide them access or deny them access to something that's important to them. I think that stuff's going on, right? I think one of the things that makes me nervous when I see these ancestry things online, like I'm not a... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm like, you know, you know, there are times in our history where, you know, your genetic information, um, you know, can be misused and going into the future of kind of the craziness that's happening. I'm like, who's collecting this? Who's sending their DNA off and where are they sending it to? Like, I'm, now you know where you're from and stuff, but so does someone else, right? I don't know. So it kind of creeps me out a little bit about where are we sending that information? And one day, what is it going to be? Be careful when you put stuff out there. If you don't want anyone to know it, don't put it out there. Lester, your title on the pod, uh, we used to introduce you as software company owner and CEO. Uh, you're in the biz, man. Maybe not necessarily <laughs> that biz, but uh, where are you at on this one? This is a whole number of different topics rolled into one conversation here. There's a bunch of different things that we could talk about. First of all, yes, I own a software company. No, I am in no way a cybersecurity expert <laughs> by any means. I don't know any more about this <laughs> stuff than you guys do. But there's a few things that I think are interesting in this realm and in particular to the topic because we couched it starting with the, the recent Facebook scandal. I really feel that Facebook has been uh, scapegoated in this situation. You know, Zuckerberg got dragged in front of uh, congressional hearings and he's made to be the face of data breaches and security privacy. You know, there's such a big uproar over people's Facebook data uh, and there's actually 87 million persons in the United States, Bruce, that they've confirmed, Facebook confirmed 87 million users. Some aspect of their data was stolen, given, or taken by Cambridge Analytica and, and, and others and, and then used in some capacity. If you, if you really want to be concerned about your data, you have to think a level deeper than that, I think, because do you really care that somebody through Facebook figured out sort of who you were and then served ads to you more appropriately to try to affect the way that you voted. I mean, I think there's a lot of distance between that and actually affecting, you know, rigging an election or affecting the outcome of an election. Right. And that's what's getting all the media attention right now because it's really about the media, right? So the media loves nothing more than to cover themselves. If you're concerned about your personal information and your personal data, I think you have to kind of look at it from a different angle because at Facebook, you have to break it down into your personal secure data versus just information about you. Anything you post on Facebook and anything you put on social media, you are putting out there into the public sphere for other people to read, right? So if you have common sense, you edit yourself before you put stuff onto Facebook. I don't, I mean, I use social media probably both the same on you guys, you know, Facebook, Instagram. I don't tweet, but I have a Twitter feed that I use like a newspaper. So I can follow the snow day pod on Twitter. <laughs> <Shout out. laughs> I certainly don't have any personal data stored anywhere in Facebook that I would care got stolen. One of the things that I, that I heard was interesting that I read about this was if you contact Facebook, like other companies, if you contact them, you can, demand that they give you your personal data and then you can go through and you can see everything that they collected. And one of the guys, tech gurus that I was reading about did that and was describing his data. And he said the most shocking, shocking thing was that Facebook had a record of every single contact he'd ever put in his phone, whether he was Facebook friends with them or not. Right. Which is, I'm sure nobody ever read through the fine details of the user agreement with Facebook and said, uh, yes, I want to post silly pictures of my cat so badly on this website, I'm willing to give you every contact in my phone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was kind of the most uh, egregious thing that I read. But 
beyond that, I think there are there are much more serious topics about data security uh, that people should be concerned about. And and Facebook, I think, is pretty low on the list. I, I think the guys that run Google are probably just chuckling to themselves that Zuckerberg got dragged in front of uh, those hearings and not them. Because if you if you want to be afraid of somebody having your data, you should be thinking about Google and not about Facebook. You can read some terrifying things about how much data Google has collected on you and maintains on you. I don't know what this means for the future of Facebook. Probably nothing, as with most things that kind of hit the media in a big splashy way. You know, makes a lot of noise for a while. Probably goes away. I bet Facebook um, user numbers aren't affected by this. I heard, uh, I know their stock took a bit of a beating because there was some discussion of, well, you know, Facebook, nobody worried about this until there was, you know, a paid advertising model on Facebook and Facebook had to figure out, well, what can we do with all this data? Well, we can sell it to advertisers. That's why Facebook's now, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. Then we have to rethink some of their advertising model, which may affect their ad revenue. But I, I think if you if you look at the analysts following their stock, nobody's even that concerned about that in the long run. So I think the story is probably going to dissipate fairly quickly, and we're all going to go back to kind of being like, yeah, I hope nobody finds out anything too important about me, <laughs> and and kind of putting our heads back in the sand. Scary ones are just interesting, sort of a little bit to me deeper angles on those. As you're right, I I post a picture on Facebook, or you know they see what sort of places I go to and kind of figure out what kind of a guy I am. That's one thing. So one of the things that Snapchat is working on is recognition software and pictures for products and things like that. So basically, if you use Snapchat enough, which I don't think you guys do much, but my kids do constantly, and no. I I snap with them. That's the way that I stay connected with them when we're not right beside each other, but they can now use all of those pictures to see what products you have in your house and where you live and, you know, just sort of and such a bigger picture of what's going on in your life. And I mean, Instagram for sure has to be just the same. And, and when I read that, I kind of laughed because when the Xboxes came out, you know, there was a rumor that they had cameras and that basically they, they were watching you all the time. And people talk about yep. that with your laptop too, that you should cover up your camera, right? And to me, if people are sort of in a nefarious way collecting data, that's a lot more scary than just watching my clicks on the computer, right? Because now you've got a <laughs> an absolutely wicked look into my life. So that that was one of the ones that that one sort of shook me just a little bit thinking, yeah, we don't we don't really know totally what's going on out there. The one of the ways that people will hack some of your information if they're looking to get in to get some more personal stuff and now we're sort of talking about banking and and those kind of things is cross-referencing passwords from one thing to another. So you always think, okay, yeah. my my <clears throat> bank is super secure, so I'm good. But Angry Birds isn't super secure, but 90% of people use the same password or a variation on that password. And these companies have now figured out a way to start linking those things on you. And that was a little bit of a, a shaker to me, too, because, you know, you have some secure passwords, but I'm sure everybody's got a throwaway password or two, you know, and to start linking those things and, and not realizing maybe uh, how people are, are hacking you kind of shook me to the core a little bit too and that and that yeah, one i mean yeah. to just to kind of follow up on that a little bit i i mean i don't look at all at um my i shouldn't say don't look at all at my personal security but you believe that the rbc app that you use is secure but i haven't ever looked into how secure that is as i you know text my brother money over a wi-fi that who knows maybe my neighbors are using my wi-fi right because they know my throwaway password and and on and on so there's so many little pieces in that whereas at one time you put a ten dollar bill in your wallet and you you know kept your hand over your pocket and and you knew it was safe and now we're just we don't understand where or how any of those things are happening right so it and and it doesn't keep me up at night that was one of the central questions we were gonna ask do you actually worry about that no, I trust other people are worried. Well, about now it. I do. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> it, it, I better go get a rope. I better put a rope on. It's it's a little bit like the internal combustion engine. If I ended up on another planet, I would say cars were so great, but I haven't got a hot clue how an internal combustion engine works, and I had no idea how money went from me to my brother to cover our hotel room on the weekend. But uh, it it was pretty cool back on my other planet. Yeah. Well, no, I think you you guys are sort of making two points in different ways. What we're talking about here is weaponizing social media like Facebook. And I think that's one of my major concerns. You're bringing up your security less as rightly pointed out Google, which I completely agree with. I think there I'd be way more worried about them than Facebook. And so the my overarching concern 
is that we moved from this tool to be a potentially great self-branding, promote your professionalism like in LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, throw yourself out there and use it as a good tool for it to be turned around on you and weaponized. And uh, potentially affect elections. If you take a look at how the U.S. election is won every four years by less than two million votes, how close the Brexit vote is, well, if they went over 87 million people, they didn't need a very large percentage to sway people for votes. So, like, there's a real concern here, to not be too over conspiracy theory, that you could have fed enough people, either right or left leaning, <clears throat> enough false information that they could have swayed stuff. And now you're talking about how it affects democracy, how people perceive the truth, which I think is a whole other topic. I think we don't even have the truth or agree on basic facts anymore. And I think social media has been a big culprit in killing basic facts and truth. So that was going to be one of my other major points is the, mm -hmm. the concern of almost the propaganda tool of the Cold War that it could become, uh, let alone steal your passwords and steal money from you. Prop yeah. And propaganda for bad, we're saying in the election, but without social media, Snow Day Pod probably wouldn't have reached Dina Santos. So I don't know. We can't look down our noses too much on social media. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. How would we have found Murray Cameron, who's a huge fan? It's crazy. Yep, and, and I hope this one finds Rick McKenzie. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do I worry about it? Nope. I think, you know, if I was to worry about it, it would be a waste of my space. I'd just try to do what I can to keep the things that I don't want people to know private. So I worry about, I, I, what George is saying, you know, when you start thinking about that stuff, I think we're living in that kind of a world. Like, yeah, it's all possible. It's probably happening. But if I start to worry about it, um, it'll probably consume, uh, consume me. Lester, right, does it keep you up at night? Internet security or somehow YouTube figuring out how to sell you more Raptor tickets at a higher price? No, well, the, the, the first part, the part that, that George is touching on, which is a very real issue, um, it doesn't concern me at all. I, I think one thing I'll point out to George, just because it's an interesting fact, is I think you have to put in context when you talk about social media being able to be used against a population to manipulate the outcome of an election Remember that Obama became president because he was the first person to figure out how to use social media to empower young people to come out and vote. And it's now only, it's now nine years later, and somebody took, as we often find in technology, right, somebody took a good idea and managed to use it for evil because, you know, not being as stark as saying the evil guys necessarily won the election, but you very clearly had a nefarious third party using that same tool to yeah. um, throw their endorsement, you know, wanted or not wanted behind uh, one of the parties in that in that election. So it's been used for good and for evil, but it's, it's like anything else. One of the most interesting things that came out of Zuckerberg being in front of Congress was when he was grilled about or asked about, are you a tech company? Are you a media company? And he said, no, absolutely. I'm a tech company. And that's because if, you, if you're labeled a media company, you have responsibility for what you publish, right? Like if the CBC or the Global Mail publishes an article that's, that's completely false information, they are responsible for it. Facebook gets to put out millions of posts a day that they know are completely false information um, and wash their hands of any responsibility of it. Ah, so the like, National Enquirer is a tech company. There you go. Right? But so there's also yeah, some different but, interesting angles. But, but in general, verse, am I concerned about it, uh, about data breaches? No. I do know a little bit about that stuff. But in general, I don't lose sleep about it. I think that, it, that we all have to be wise enough to understand that you should live your life assuming you're being watched all the time because you are. You know, when everything you're doing, all of your communication is going through a device that's connected to the Internet, you have to assume that everything you're doing and saying through that device can be monitored. Yeah. If you're having a private conversation in 2018, you're naive. So govern yourselves accordingly, and then you don't lose any sleep about it. Yeah. So Bruce, you should play that song, uh, Somebody's Watching Me.
kind of take this to wrap. I'm, I'm with you. I don't worry about my security too much either because I think I, I mean, we're sort of up on it and basically follow the same sort of steps that most people would, right? And I think I don't worry about it just like if somebody really wants to come into my house and steal my TV, like really, really wants to, they're going to figure out a way to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And Very if they, good point. And if they want to, you know, steal the money out of my internet bank account, if they really, really want to, they probably can do that. But for the most part, I've taken enough steps that I, I can sleep at night. So last, last one, somebody threw out a challenge to us to Google ourselves. I think you call that a vanity search. I don't know if I've ever done that before. <laughs> I did it and I wasn't actually that surprised by what came up, which, which relieved me a little bit. There was a lot of Shaw TV stuff and a little bit about Snow Day Pod and pictures of me on a bicycle, which are all things that I was cool sending out to the world i think George, are your nudies still up no somebody scrubbed those from the internet so uh really appreciate that that was one good thing google did they saw them once and there they said go, harwood yeah to, top marks to uh, audience development harwood and producer mike uh george did you do the search i think you threw out the challenge yeah i did do the search and the reason why i asked that was because i'm just interested in what you guys would find about yourself but i am so glad when we were younger and much more stupid and the innumerable amount of dumb shit that I've done in my life, that there was not a cell phone around. Uh, because <laughs> the stuff that's on Facebook, like when I Google myself, it's what I do, I'm in a squash club, my publication, like it's really innocuous stuff that looks like, oh, this guy, he's a reasonable human being that has never done anything wrong in his life. Nowadays, just like Teles's point, it'd be naive to think, that somebody is not videotaping you, and lots of times for good, if you think about the Rodney King, like how that was a good thing, that somebody had a cell phone. But the stuff that gets posted nowadays, like with my kids and anybody that I know, if you're drunk at 19 and blogging at university trying to be all righteous, you better believe that will be time-stamped for the rest of your life. And even looks herself up, and something that she wrote when she was drunk at 19 in university is still on the net. Mm -hmm. Like years, like decades later, it is still there. And so I wanted you to do this so I could bring up the point that everything is on there forever. There's no such thing as it being erased. And so that would be the advice. I don't really worry about it, but, uh, you know, caution for any silly thing to be done in the middle of the night because it's getting cataloged. Well, and I think, right, I think yeah. Steve, you could probably attest to this too, but having a daughter who's about to turn 20 and uh, and Murph that's that's zoning in on 17 big time sometimes I think we, do, we don't give those kids quite enough credit you're right everyone's going to make mistakes and it's going to suck but they've already had some coaching in school and they've had some life coaching seeing other people make mistakes they know that you yeah. know that everybody's yeah. phone can record you and you know that they could post these pictures and that's not to say you're not going to make a mistake and somebody's not going to sewer you and take a compromising picture of you or something like that but it's not like they walk around this world not knowing that everything they do yeah. can be seen right so you, I think I, I oh, agree yeah. with you George yeah. it's terrifying yeah. to us but yeah. it's yeah, not that they say, don't know that uh, I Google myself um, I didn't know that I was a computational biomolecular uh, PhD uh, in physics and I'm only yeah. 36 um, but no I mean the thing is I, what George is saying though, it's interesting because somebody met me a long time ago and one of the people I was working with a pretty high profile person called me to meet them for a drink and said, I saw this thing of you. It looked like you were drunk uh, and you were talking to yourself online. I'm like, what? You're nuts, man. She sent me the link. And interestingly enough, it was from years ago, I tried out for um, a comedy thing and I just did a five-minute comedy thing of being silly and it was still like etched somewhere, like caught somewhere. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I actually got it. I got it removed, but it was nuts that it was still out there. I'd forgotten that I'd, I'd done it. Right? It was actually for a comedy tryout, but it was just like left hanging somewhere in cyberspace. You know, George threw this out this afternoon to Google yourself, which I did. I Google myself every once in a while just to see what sort of links are coming up because when you're involved in business communication, you know anytime you're introduced to someone virtually, the first thing they're going to do is Google you. So I do Google myself every once in a while just to see what people are going to see when they Google me. What I find interesting when you when I Google myself and what you guys should try is Google yourself, click on the images, and just scroll down a ways, right? Because you'll probably find, like, I think there's uh, maybe four or five images of myself that I'll find. But then just scroll down a ways and start looking at the other things further down the list that Google has decided are somehow cross-referenced with you. And they're so freaking random. Like, if you just look at them and go, how on earth 
does Google think my world is somehow crossed over with this person or this thing's world? I find it uh, very interesting what Google thinks. Lots of nail polish, Les. Well, I got Googling myself, brought up Richard Branson's Wikipedia page, brought up some dance school in Scotland. Like, this, uh, like such random things. That's, uh, I knew it. What I think is interesting about Google, when you want to talk about how much Google knows about you and you don't realize it, is how quickly it should freak you out when you start to type something into Google and the predictive text knows what you're looking for. Like when you get two letters or three letters in, uh, I'm heading to Halifax tomorrow. I got a, a restaurant recommendation from somebody the other day that there's a restaurant in Halifax called The Bicycle Thief that's supposed to be a fantastic place to have dinner. So I went to Google Bicycle Thief. I typed in B-I-C into Google, and it brought up Bicycle Thief Restaurant Halifax. <laughs> <laughs> now... First of all, <laughs> I mean, you could say, okay, predictive text, all the stuff that I've done and whatnot, um, you know, that it could bring up bicycle. How on earth does it bring up bicycle thief? And how does Google know I'm going to, to Halifax tomorrow? How do they know that, right? I haven't booked a hotel there. <laughs> I haven't wow. Googled anything in Halifax. All I've done is book a plane ticket there. Did Air Canada sell me out somewhere? Like, yeah. think about it. Did you run some random Google searches and see how much what else is going on in your world today Google seems to know about? That can scare the shit out of you. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt all those technologies are somehow connected, right? And like you say, that's probably another pod. It's funny you mentioned that less because I thought the exact same thing as I did the vanity search. I typed BR and I got Bruce Krentz Thompson came up right away, and I thought. Yep. How, how did you read my mind that that's what I was shooting for, right? It was bizarre. But at least you could say that's an assumption that it could make, that you might Google yourself. Yeah, no, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't as insane that, as yours. We all typed in VR, right? That's the thing, right? So from your yeah. computer, you know, if you, we all typed in VR. Um, Brian Hansen is the first thing that comes up. Yeah. <laughs> so not yeah. Bruce Krenz. Well, Thompson. why don't we give the listeners one week to listen to this podcast? and then get them to put in Bruce Krentz and see how many of them get Bruce Krentz Thompson. <laughs> yeah, I, well, they're all going to get it because there's only one Bruce Krentz and he lives in Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a... Oh, no, actually. Well, there's a Bruce Krentzman in Tampa, according to Google. <laughs> and I don't know who the Bruce Krentz was that uh, rented Angela's Airbnb down my street. <laughs> <laughs> Closing segment on the Snow Day podcast. When's the last time you? It is a little bit of a build, I'd say, on on the picnic question. So the picnic question, maybe it had more <laughs> legs than we gave it gave it credit for. <laughs> Gotta say, uh, my question is, when is the last time you were scared, like really scared? I'll I'll go first just to to get the ball rolling. I think the last time that I was really scared was a trip to New York. Lester actually bid us farewell and then almost saw our demise because we went from t- Toronto to New-, New York, Marnie and I. As soon as we got there, we decided we wanted to go to a New Jersey Devils hockey game. So we just went to the stadium, got scalper tickets, took a cab from our hotel. So we were staying, we were actually staying in New Jersey just beyond the Lincoln Tunnel. Bought these scalper tickets on the way into the game. It was kind of cool. They played Pittsburgh. Great game. We start to come out and we said to the attendant right at our gate, you know, where where do we catch a cab or where can we call a cab? And the person said, hmm, I'm not sure. Go talk to this person. So they pointed us to sort of a person out in the the lobby. And so we said to that person, hey, where do we catch a cab? And hmm, uh, ask that guy over there. So we finally, the third person said, oh, you go to Lot D and that's where you get a cab. So we go trucking out to Lot D and there's like a just a giant sea of people and a few of them are heading there. We get there, there's some buses and some town cars and stuff like that and no cabs. So we call a cab, uh, and the guy said, oh, I'll be there in 15 minutes. 
So, okay, so we, we start to wait for 15 minutes. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, the whole lot was starting to clear out. So all the town cars had gone. There was a few sort of like bus tour package things. They were gone. <laughs> we called the cab again and said to the guy, hey, like, are you coming out here? And he said, oh, I'm stuck in the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, where are you? And we said, we're at the stadium. And he said, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll be there in 15 minutes. So another 15 minutes goes by. By now, there's these guys breaking bottles around us, these drunk hooligans, uh, smashing bottles. Everybody's gone. We're standing out like alone in this giant parking lot. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to the arena in New Jersey, but it's sort of the yeah. arena and the football stadium. It's out in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. We we, yeah, had been well, to, we had been to the Air Canada Centre where you pour out and there's, you know, buses and taxis are in Vancouver, same kind <laughs> Restaurant. of thing. Restaurants. Right? Restaurants, <laughs> yeah, like, like something, right? And uh, so here we are standing out in the middle of this concrete jungle with these, like, scary guys starting to come closer and closer to us. They're basically circling us, right? And we call the guy, the taxi guy again, and he goes, you know what? Basically what he said to us is the fare's not worth it. Like, you're too far away from wow. anywhere and your hotel is too close, so... He said, I might co-, basically said, I might come out and get you, right? So now we're thinking, okay, we'd like to go to a 7-Eleven or a restaurant or something and regroup. There is nothing there. Like, so now we're scared. It's snowing. There's bad guys around. <laughs> so we start to walk back to, this, to the arena just thinking, hoping we can get back in. And as we get there, the door's locked. And now we're just thinking, like, what? And it was before really good smartphones, so we couldn't even look at a map and find anything. And a guy came out of the arena, and he just said, hey, what's going on? And we said, you know what? We were trying to get a cab, and we can't get one. And he said, oh, where are you staying? And we said, oh, the Holiday Inn or whatever we were staying at, Super 8. And uh, he said, oh, I'll give you a ride. Hop in. And we kind of look at each other and look at this guy. <laughs> but right now we're scared, and we're not getting back into the arena. So we get into the car with this guy. Where the hell is the motel? Hillviews are much farther. Not much. Why didn't you take the interstate? Said your friend had never been around here, so I just figured he'd like to um, look around. Don't see nothing on the interstate but interstates. The middle of the night. I know, I know, but he's proud of his town. You know, that's a damn rare thing these days. And uh, turns out that he was a nice guy, right? He gave us a ride to our hotel, but we're in the back of a car in America six hours after we landed there, not knowing who this guy is, where we are, or how to get back to the hotel. And we got back to the hotel, and we both just, like, slumped down. Marnie got in the tub, and we were both just shaking, like, thinking, what a terrible adventure this was. So, that sounds like the start of one of those Saw movies. It was bloody terrifying. Yeah, we thought, this guy's going to take us to his house, and we'll end up in his freezer. It was crazy. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, George, is your story connected to mine? Because... I don't know yet. <laughs> okay, good. Mine is clearly... But the time when I think about when I was truly, truly scared for my life was when I was with Georgie in Acapulco. And we rented a Jeep, and we were driving around, and it was kind of a double scare knockout because a really scary person probably saved our, our hiney. But, George, I don't even remember this, but we are heading yeah. over. It was a late night... And we got pulled over by the friggin' Mexican military. Now, they wanted a ride uh, to just different parts to do their business. You boys like Mexico! Yeah! Okay, and like, so at one point, but earlier in the night, we think we met one of the head of the mafia. Do you remember that, George? The guy's name owned all that stuff. You look like their nephew or their son. Do you remember that? Yep. So he gave us our he gave us his name and said if you want to get into this club just drop my name and we did earlier in the night we dropped the name and we got right to the front amazing service so it held some water but we get into this these military guys with AK-47 pull us over just for the outskirts and ask us to drive them around <laughs> and I'm driving we're driving them around and George is like I'm like what the fuck and we, like I George is like okay I'm gonna we to strike up a conversation. Uh, I'm going to speak a little bit of Spanish so we know that they understand us. And I'm like, we are so dead. Like, like this is a time when there's like lots of deaths in Mexican tourists. And I'm like, we're so dead. And they're going to use us and drive us and kill us. And then Georgie's like, uh, he dropped the name of that guy. And we start talking back and forth. And then George started talking to them. And you remember that, George? Almost within minutes, they asked to get out. Do you remember that? Yep. And it actually got <laughs> We stepped out and I drove away. I literally, I think I chipped my pants. Like, I thought, we are so dead. Like, we are dead. Right? And, uh, yeah, that was, I was literally, I honestly thought in moments sitting there with Georgie going, like, we're dead. Like, we are so dead. And I don't think I've ever felt like that before. So, 
Yeah, that's that's that story. <laughs> Just hearing that's a lonely, scary feeling. Georgie, same story, or you got something else? Another time you used you a know, mafia I, boss to save your ass? You know what? I had completely forgotten that, and it's probably because I have. Now that you remind me, that was a good story because I was actually feeling that exact same thing. Is that we had no way that we could refuse these guys. I could tell that these guys were threatening, and what Steve forgot to mention is. I was talking to him about bribing. Like I was already in this conversation saying, "Have you guys any money?" Um, <laughs> and I'm talking to him in Spanish, right? And this was before. This was just starting with Acapulco had become a total shithole, and you would never go there nowadays. This was like 20 plus years ago. They were starting to ask me for money, uh, and they were clearly being, you know, threatening in Spanish. And I wasn't translating for Steve because I could tell Steve was terrified in the front. And I'm driving, talking to them in Spanish. And then I don't know what made me decide to mention that guy's name, who I think in retrospect was probably connected, organized mob. It was a roll the dice moment. Yeah. And, uh, and then basically they said, yeah, no, we'll just uh, leave us over here. So, yeah, that, that was, I, yeah, I must have locked it out. I was terrified, and I thought we were going to either get killed or hostage or, or yeah. Because so, <laughs> we, we, were heading, we were heading out to the outskirts. We were heading, like, we were That's heading right. to, the, to the outskirts. In the wrong field. direction. You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He said we're going the wrong way! Oh, he's drunk! How would he know where we're going? In the wrong direction. We weren't going clubbing. We weren't going clubbing. Lester, what do you got? You ever been scared? <laughs> probably around the same time, uh, time era anyway, because this is probably 25 or so years ago in my life. When I was down in Mexico uh, with Mark Frompson, who uh, who you guys know, and uh, and my buddy Evan Helte. Evan's, Evan's father was working. He, he had bought a big business in northern Mexico, and we had decided to to drive down to visit him. So we had, Mark and I had been on this long road trip, drove down to Mexico, ended up in this, you know, kind of rough industrial city in northern Mexico. And it was about uh, an hour from the coast. So we decided that uh, that we wanted to go to the beach because why would you drive all the way from Manitoba to Mexico and not go to the beach, right? So <laughs> his dad was like, okay, take, take this car. We have this, this sort of like a spare vehicle that they had um, at their at the facility, the factory that he was that he was running, I take this car, take Miguel to guide and uh, you know interpret because none of us spoke Spanish, and he'll show you there's like a, a dirt road that kind of just cuts um, across country and it'll get to a beach, not like a tourist beach where there's like things on the beach, but it'll get to just a strip of coastline. So we go, yeah, that's fantastic. So we 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 drive out there, we drive for about an hour, and we get there and. Next thing you know, we're on this beach, which is like miles and miles and miles of just, you know, like white sand and crystal blue water and nothing on it. And it's like, you know, the, the promised land. We just can't believe it. We're like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. This is exactly what we're looking for. So we, we park the car and we jump out and we strip down and we, we run into the ocean and we're swimming around. And now this is, this is probably like, I think this was in, I don't know, 1990 one or something like that this is you know mark and i were still competitive uh athletes in a pool every day like we were good swimmers strong swimmers well about 20 minutes into splashing around in the ocean one of us points out hey we look like we're a long ways from the car and we realized <laughs> oh shit we're in like a serious riptide Right, and we're uh, we're like, okay, we better start swimming back to shore. And as we start to swim back to shore, the realization kicks in, like, yeah, this is not going to be easy. Like, we are we are now, you know, like hundreds of yards from shore in a strong ocean current that is pulling us out around this point. And we all started swimming and kind of like talking, you know, talking each other's morale up. But I was literally swimming, thinking. I'm going to fucking drown. Like, we're probably all going to drown. 
<laughs> I spent my whole life in a pool. I'm a very strong swimmer. I was a certified lifeguard at the time. But I remember thinking, fuck, I'm going to bite it right here because wow. we just made a stupid decision to to run into the ocean. And obviously all four of us made it back to beach, but I've never been, I don't know if I've ever been as exhausted in my life. It was literally one of those crawl out of the water, up onto the beach, flop onto our backs, and we all just lay there like sucking wind for about 15 minutes before anybody could say a word because we were all like tumbled <laughs> and scared and ashamed and not wanting to talk to each other. And it was just like one of those moments of like, geez, man, use your head. <laughs> That makes my stomach turn just hearing it, especially as not a very strong swimmer. <laughs> but, yeah. but you can totally yeah. see yourself getting into a situation like that. Like, oh, gross. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, George, I, I wish I could have said that about, like, I wish I could have said in my story that when we were driving along, I was terrified for you. I don't know cat. I was really scared for me. Hooligans in New Jersey just don't sound so bad anymore after all those stories. Huh? Oh no, but it's so relative, Bruce. It's so relative, <laughs> man. Like, like you know, I think, I think less is you know, you know that, like you said, that whether you're in a riptide or in a parking lot where people are smashing bottles or in a in a in a jeep with uh, two military guys with their AK-47s at your back, you feel alone and you feel no control, right? I mean, that's. That's what it is, regardless of the, the context. That's some scary stories, man. 100%. On, on that happy note, boys, I think we got to wrap her up. And clearly there are thing, more things in this world that scare us a lot more than the Internet does. We are terrified of a lot yeah. of other things and not really Internet security or Google spying on us, even though they're doing it right now. <laughs> they are. Ah! That's a good way to end it. <laughs> it's yeah. happening. All right. Love you, boys. We'll talk again right, soon. Guys. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Want to do us a solid? Tell your friends. Recommend us on Twitter and Instagram at SnowdayPod and on Facebook, Snowday Podcast. And special thanks to the secret weapon, Shannon Bisson.